Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our study of this great book of Romans. There is a, there's just a sense of security and hope that comes from knowing Christ. When the waves and storms beat against us, they hurt, as we've already said, and they're real. But there's hope when there is time in Christ. I hope, I didn't mention this in the announcements, but I I wanted to bring it out because it all fits into this, but I hope you are making plans and as well as making plans, inviting people to come and share with us on on Good Friday night as we come together for that Good Friday service and Tenebrae service, a service of shadows, a service of darkness. As we think about the passion of our Lord on that day, you know, his death on the cross. And, and that will be the focus. There won't be a lengthy sermon. There will be mostly scripture reading and songs of response and other responses to it. We did that for the first time last year. And it's the first service that, during the next, that I've ever done in the 13 years almost of Grace Baptist Church that I got multiple texts, emails, phone calls, in-person visits saying, We've got to do that again next year. For some reason, we Baptists have forgotten how to really come together and, and think about that one topic that, that, and do it in, in, a, in a very quiet and, and really sorrowful way because that, it's Good Friday for us. It wasn't such a Good Friday for Jesus. And, and so that night we'll gather for 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most, and we will think through his passion and visually and sensibly think about what he gave on that night. And I guarantee you, this is my money-back guarantee. This isn't true, you can get every penny back you pay, okay? My money-back guarantee is that you will leave that service changed. You'll leave it, it's like we sang, in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that maybe you never have before. So be here. Invite people to come. The gospel will be so clearly delineated that night. Uh, Your friends, your family, your neighbors will hear the gospel. Now, in Romans chapter 8, all that was a commercial for Good Friday night. Easter Sunday won't be bad either, by the way, just by way of mentioning it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through 4 this morning. Uh, although we're going to be in 1 through 4 for several weeks. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We dealt with that two weeks ago. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Wow. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, teach us the great truth of this passage and teach us what it will lead to in our lives when we 
put our trust in, our faith in it. We know it to be true experientially by your Holy Spirit's work in our life. Teach us, Lord, what it means to walk with the absolute assurance of no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it means to, to, to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That those who are in Christ will never suffer the condemnation. Those who are in Christ will never pay for their sins. Those who are in Christ will never be punished for their sins. Those who are in Christ have the absolute assurance and absolute clarity of forgiveness of sins for all time, for all eternity, beginning right now in a relationship with Him. And, and so we, we talked about the beauty of that. Now, I, I had a few people who came by and said, well, now, if that is the case, and it is the case, by the way, but if that is the case, uh, how can we be sure of that? How can we, I mean, Paul says it fairly pointedly, you know, now there's now no condemnation for those in Christ, but did he just dream that up and pull it out of thin air? No, he didn't. Paul experienced that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his own life. He understood that justification that he's talked about prior to this is a legal term, and we talked about what it means to be justified by Christ. It's barred from the law courts, and, and justification that we have in Christ Jesus is the exact opposite of condemnation. So if we have justification, we have the opposite of what condemnation is. To condemn is to declare somebody guilty. To justify is to declare that same person or, or the, a person righteous. So you have condemnation, you have justification. And if we are justified by Christ through His cross, through His death, through His burial and resurrection, if we are justified by, the, by God through Jesus Christ, then we can rest assured that there is therefore for us who are in Christ no condemnation. That's where we were going two weeks ago. The Bible refers to God's act of unmerited favor by which He puts, a, 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 puts us in a, a sinner in His place and Christ in our place, pardoning and acquitting, but not just that, but also accepting us and treating us as righteous, accepting us as adopted sons and daughters into His family, and He loves us and cares for us. So, we can ask the question, does it mean what it says? There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the unequivocal answer is yes. It speaks of the absolute security of the believer. Now, some might say, well, would not this teaching lead us to careless living? I mean, if we know that we're in Christ, and we know that there is therefore no condemnation for any sin that we ever commit, that all our sins, according to the Scripture, are, are forgiven past, present, and future, won't that lead to a kind of carelessness in the Christian life? Just a kind of, I'll do what I want to do, it doesn't matter kind of thing. Well, if it does, it proves that you really don't understand what this concept is. You don't understand what this truth really is that's presented by Paul and other places, even by Jesus that we'll look at in a minute, in the Bible. It should not lead to carelessness because if it's properly understood... If there's a proper understanding of the gospel, then it will really lead to a, a carefulness. It'll, it'll lead to a desire or a, a repentant, obedient life because of our gratitude toward Jesus Christ and what He's done. 
to recognize that is to say, I stand in awe of you and I declare that I owe all to you and everything you've done, I respond to you with gratitude and love and careless, uh, carefulness, not carelessness. We want to we we kind of exemplify who He is. We want to live obedient life in order to resemble our Lord as best as we possibly can. We live an obedient and, and faithful life and repentant life because we, we know fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. To sense God's presence living for His glory is how that comes about in a very consistent daily basis in the believer's life. But the question I ask, in the, and we talked about all that two weeks ago, the question I ask in the sermon title is, can religion bring no condemnation? Can religion bring no condemnation? And many times that's how we look at it, that's how we ask the question. And you know, we live in a day when you've probably heard this statement before, well, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. That is not a true statement. It's a partially true statement, but it's not a completely true statement. Christianity is a religion. It's one of the great religions of the world. It was established by Jesus Christ from the Father, God Himself. It is a religion that calls us to Christ. But, but it's, it's not just a religion, and it's, it's unlike any other religion in that there is a relationship with the living God involved within that religious expression. There are really only two, you've heard me say this before, there are really only two religions in the world today. You say, well, well I, I can name off 15 or 20 without even pausing. You know, there are all sorts of religions everywhere. There's, there's religious this and religious that, and, and there's Islam and Buddhism and, and Judaism and, and Hinduism and Confucianism, and then you can go on and on and on. There, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe even, of religions in the world. No, there's not. There's only two. There is the religion of human achievement, and there is the religion of divine accomplishment. Those are the only two. And only one religion fits into that second category, the religion of divine achievement. Everything else is, the, is a religion of human uh, uh, striving, human, human achievement, human trying to get right with God and make God happy with me through some kind of self-effort. Religion is really, of that type, is all about me. Christianity is all about Christ. Religion is all those other religions are all about what I have done and am doing and I'm trying to do. Christianity, the gospel, if you will, is all about what Jesus has done on the cross and in my life, on the cross and in our church. It's real easy to see a, a comparison of, of what we might call religion and the gospel. I won't say religion and Christianity because I've already said. Christianity is falls into the category of religion. But religion and the gospel can have two totally different things. In religion, we, we, religion kind of says, if I obey God, God will love me. And so we set out on our own moralistic, deistic approach to try and say, I wanna, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to live by the Ten Commandments. I'm going to live by the Golden Rule. I'm going to do all that I can. And if I can do enough, then God will love me. God will accept me. That's what religion says. Religion of human achievement says. The gospel says, because, God's lo because God loves me, I can obey Him. Because of His love that has touched my life and changed my life, 
I can obey Him. That really is the essence of the new covenant. If you go to Jeremiah 31 or go to Hebrews chapter 8, where you have the quote of Jeremiah 31 and the talk about the new covenant, the essence of the new covenant is that I will be your God and you will be my people and you will know me. And I will write my laws upon your hearts and upon your minds. In religion, outside of Christianity, there is this, here's a, here's a list of do's and don'ts. Here's a list of, of laws and standards which Paul says could not save in that second verse or in that third verse there. He makes it clear the law couldn't do it. God had to do it through the gospel. But here's this list of do's and don'ts. And if you'll do and don't this, then you'll be all right with God. But the new covenant says it's not out there on a tablet. It's not out there on a scroll. It's not out there on a piece of paper. It's not even out there in a book. It's written on your heart and on your mind. Because God loves me, I can obey. Because God has placed His Spirit within me, He has empowered me to do that. Religion has good people and bad people. Good people are those who are like me and doing what I do. Bad people are those who do things I don't like to do or don't want to do. Bad people are those who look different from me maybe even racially different or, or nationality different. However, they look different from me. Those are bad. We're good because we look like and do the things that are due. But the gospel has only repentant and unrepentant people. It's not a racial issue. It's not a nationality issue. It's not a, it's not a socioeconomic issue. It's an issue of whether one has come in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. or not. That's the gospel. Repent and believe. Religion depends on what I do. The gospel depends on what Jesus has done. Go on. Religion claims that sanctification will justify me. The more I get better, then I'll be justified. But the gospel says justification enables our sanctification and enables us to be able to know the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Religion has a goal to get something from God. That's why so much of what we see in, I, in contemporary Christianity that does not even think about lamenting, would never think about even confessing sin in a public worship service or, or crying out because we're hurting. Much of what we have today is this prosperity gospel of giddy excitement. You know, God, I'm here. Give me something. Give me what I want. Religion wants from God. The gospel has the goal not to get from God, but literally to get God, to know Him, to walk with Him, to fellowship with Him. Religion sees punishment uh, or sees hardships as punishment for sin. The gospel says, no, hardship can come, is sanctified discipline. Yes, we will have hardships, but it's not being punished for our sin because our sins have already been punished completely in Christ, but there will be discipline. The right of Hebrews says, as a father loves his children and disciplines them, so your heavenly father loves you, and if you choose sin over him, he will discipline, but not punish. You know, you, you can go on and on. You say religion believes appearing as a good person is the key. The gospel believes that being an honest person is the key. And I don't mean honest in telling other people the truth. I mean being honest to yourself about where your need is. It's not in trying harder 
Your need is in looking more to Christ. Religion ends in pride or despair, one or the other. Because it's all about what I do and depends on what I do and how much I can do and how much I can get. Religion will either lead to pride where we're puffed up and we say, I have done this. I am a religious person. Paul was that way before he came to Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he said. He, was, he, was, he obeyed the law as much as anybody humanly possibly could. He said, and he was proud of that, very proud of that, until he met Christ. So religion will puff us up and make us proud if it's what we're accomplishing, what we're doing, how we're getting it done, or to lead to despair. I just can't do it. I'm tired of trying. Seems like I try to please God and something bad happens and, and so I must not be pleasing God. I must, not be, I must not be where I ought to be and so I'll just give it up. I'll just despair because we bought into some kind of religion that says God wants you happy, wealthy, and healthy. The gospel ends in humility and joy. Humility before God and humility before one another. Lord, I need you. And Lord, I acknowledge that everything I have comes from you and everything that, that I have is, is in my life for a reason, a purpose for your good, for your glory and for my good. Now, Father, teach me what that is. Turn my focus away from me to you. Turn my focus away from fi- trying to figure out how I can how I can earn some kind of favor with you to recognize that if I'm in Christ, there is no need to seek favor. I have favor. I'm your son and your daughter according to the work of Christ. So Paul says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And and I, I think one of the people in Scripture that would agree with him the most is Jesus himself. I had Pastor Ricky read that passage out of John 10 this morning, because it's a great parallel passage to Romans 8.1. If you hear what Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, they're in red. I only have a black-letter Bible, because all the words of the Scripture are the Word of God, but that's a whole other sermon at another time. But, but, but those words, if you have a red-letter Bible, are in red. Jesus said them. He said, My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, not temporal life, not not short-lived life. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And there's a double negative there. They will never, ever perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you hear in those words from the mouth of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation, no lostness, no casting out of those who are in Christ Jesus? It's the truth. It's the truth from the lips of Paul. It's the truth from the lips of of Jesus Christ, our, our own Savior. And so what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying here is not a conditional statement. Both of those are an absolute promise to those who are in Christ. They're, they're a promise. They're saying, 
This is what I have done, and this is what I will do. I have saved you. I have placed you in Christ, God says. And so I will, you'll never be out of Christ if you're in Christ. I give you eternal life. You'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I mean, how, how clear could that be? And, and eternal life is not just life never ending. You know, we sometimes get that concept in our mind that, that, well, when we die as a believer, then we have eternal life. And it, it goes on and on, and, and it never ends, and that's eternal life. And someday, I'm going to have eternal life. But really, you've got to recognize, <laughs> if we believe the Word of God, even an unbeliever is going to have unending life. Not in heaven, but in hell. But it is an unending punishment that will go on where they will be punished for their sins because Christ was not punished for their sins. That's the clear, unequivocal teaching of the Scripture. But what Jesus is talking about in, in this passage, and, and indeed He does in His high priestly prayer in John 17, 3, when He says, this is eternal life. When Jesus says that, your ears ought to perk up. This is red letter again in your Bible. This is eternal life. What is eternal life, Jesus? This is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus praying here, praying to God the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. new covenant the essence i said was to know god and to have his law his word written upon our hearts by the holy spirit and and here jesus praying for you and me says this is what eternal life is it's to know god there's that relationship within the religion of christianity there's that relationship to know the true and the living god he said to know you the only true god and Jesus Christ, whom you, the only true God, has sent into the world. So, so we are secure in this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the promise of the Son. And Paul's just echoing that here. Paul's just saying, in case you don't remember what Jesus said, I want you to hear it clearly, Roman Christians. There is therefore no condemnation. You are not condemned if you're in Christ. You will live and have eternal life that begins right now because it's knowledge, relationship with the Father right now. I, I mentioned John 17 where he prayed and shared what eternal life is. That whole prayer is a prayer for Jesus' disciples. That whole chapter is a prayer for Jesus' disciples in John 17. He starts out by praying for those that you've given me, here with me, out of the world, talking about Peter and John and James and, and the others that are with him at that time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I'm, I'm praying for them, Lord. You've given them to me out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them from being discouraged. Keep them from being defeated as they take the gospel into the whole world. But then he comes down a little later and he says, I'm not just praying for these 11 that were still there. Judas, of course, has departed. 
proving not that he lost his salvation, proving that he never was one of them. John says in 1 John, proving that he never did belong. But, but, but as he prays there, he says, I don't just pray for these 11, Father, but also pray for everyone who believes because of their testimony, because of their word, because of their ministry and mission. And do you know who that is? That's you and me. Because it's because John and Peter and James and the others took the gospel literally to the the far reaches of the world that they knew it, and people came to Christ there, and they took it even further, finally getting into England and finally coming across the ocean, and, 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 and the gospel spread like a wildfire because of the truth of the gospel, because of the work of those apostles, and it reached right down into old Somerset, Kentucky, 2,000 years later. And we believe because they were faithful to continue in the faith, as Jude put it, once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we live in a day that kind of needs to recover what that is. Because we live in a day where the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, has been polluted and has been distorted. And, has, and, and, and again, that's one of those things that's another, time, uh, another sermon. But folks... Because of those disciples' faithfulness that Jesus prayed for in the garden and they're sharing the gospel, we're here. And we are in Christ if we have trusted Him. And we have no condemnation whatsoever. We have justification because of their word and their work that spread to us. But here's the kicker. It's our responsibility based on that promise that we will never be snatched out of the Father's hand, that we will never be lost ever ever be lost it's our responsibility as debtors as paul said earlier in this book of romans as debtors to those who still need to hear and that's why i said man invite your friends invite your family to good friday service or invite them next sunday you don't have to wait till then and tell them about what Christ has done in your life. That's part of that continuing spreading of the burning flame of Christ across the earth that is bound up in this promise that you will always be protected in Christ. So we're secure. We're under no condemnation because of the promise of the Son and because of the prayer of the Son. When he prayed for us in John 17, he prayed and do you ever doubt that Jesus' prayers go unanswered? They don't. Because he always prays according to the will of God. John 11, Jesus' prayers are stated. They'll, they'll, they'll always be in the will of God. and They're always answered. Or, or Romans 8, 34, which we'll get to in about six months. Who, maybe six months, maybe eight. Who is, the, who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is he who died? Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also, now hear this, intercedes for us. He prayed for you 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayed for you. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for who? For you, for me. He intercedes for us. He's constantly at the right hand praying for his family. For those who trust in the 
faith once for all delivered the saints. Well, quickly, and this will be quickly, I promise. We have no condemnation, not only because of the promise, not only because of the prayer of Jesus, but we also have no condemnation and we are secure because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 makes clear that we might grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit, but Romans 8, 14 through 16 makes it clear that we will never drive Him away. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talks about Him being the seal and the pledge of our salvation. He, he seals our salvation uh, as a Roman seal would guarantee something. And He's our, our down payment on what we have yet to come in our life. So He's present within the believer. And He will not let a believer fall into egregious sin that will, will cause any kind of loss of salvation. It can't happen. The Spirit lives within us. We also have a surety of no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus, because we also, in Christ, possess a new nature. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, or 2 Peter 1.4 says that we are partakers of divine nature when we come to Christ. We, we, we get a new nature. We're a new creature. 1 John 3.9 says God has placed His seed in us. The words that John used here indicates that He continually abides in us without end, eternally. The seed dwells within us. The Spirit dwells within us. We have a new nature in Christ Jesus. So we possess that. And, and then finally, if you will, and there are thousands of more things I could say here, but we'll close with this. We have no condemnation. We have security. We have justification because of his reconciliation. If you go back a year or so to Romans chapter 5, we looked at 5, 9 through 11 where Paul said, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled through his de the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The reconciliation. Maybe we could say in a, sort of a colloquial way, we've now been made friends with God. We once were at enemies. We once had enmity between us and God. Once sin and, 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 and that fallen nature caused us to be an enemy, caused us to be children of wrath, objects of the wrath of God. But because of Christ's work on the cross and through His Holy Spirit, His work in our lives, we have now received the reconciliation. Phyllis, I thought you'd say amen. <laughs> that, that's so great. I'm sorry. <laughs> Such a great truth. Such a great truth. We are now reconciled with God. And amen. 
Thank you. <laughs> and there's nothing. Nothing can separate us from his love. We'll get into that big time in the last part of Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from his love if we're in Christ. Oh, we may flirt with idols. We may flirt with other things. But the spirit within us will always say, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who you are? You're a child of God. You're part of His family. You've been forgiven. You've been reconciled. You've been made adopted. You've adopted into His family. We may be, need to be disciplined to get us back in where we ought to be. But the sin has been paid for. And anything that says it hasn't been is less than Christianity. Mm, I don't know. I, I, just, I just think those words of Paul, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is just about the most encouraging words in all of Scripture. Just about. I mean, there's a lot of other encouraging words, but man, I'm so thankful for those. So even when we hurt, even when we struggle, even when we're in pain, even when we grieve, that will not separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. As you pray, we're going to sing a song that's such a tremendous response to that truth. I will glory in my Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer. I'll glory in Christ. I'll I'll brag about Christ. I'll rejoice in Christ. I will, I will proclaim that He is the only one worthy of glory. Because He's my Redeemer. And in Him there is therefore no condemnation. In Him there is therefore now nothing but justification and progressive sanctification and ultimate holiness in my life because he's my redeemer and he doesn't condemn me if I'm in him you know this morning you may be sitting here and you're not in Christ Jesus you know it you don't even understand maybe what that means and you say, well, I sure feel condemned. Or, or maybe you don't feel condemned. Maybe you say, no, I'm, I'm happy in my sin. Then I ask the Holy Spirit in your life to bring condemnation. That it might drive you to Christ. Because 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the exact opposite is true. There is therefore now absolute condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. So I invite you to Christ this morning. I invite you to turn your hurts to Him. Your grief to Him. Your sorrows to Him. Your pain to Him. Your sickness to Him. Say, Lord... I don't expect ease in life. But Lord, I want you in life. I don't want things from you. I, I want you. And I will find my pleasure in you, not in things. I will glory in my Redeemer. Father, it's not what we do, it's what you have done and what you are doing. Do your work by your Spirit right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.